Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu, Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I pray that as we open your word this evening on Shavuot, on Erev Shavuot, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, that you will move in a mighty and powerful way as you have done uh, for our people in days of old and as you've done for our people here recently. Father, I pray that you uh, speak boldly through me, that you use me as a vessel for you, that nothing of me be involved except that which you have ordained for this purpose. Father, that you touch each of our hearts and our lives, and that we leave this place changed, different, more in tune with what you were doing in our lives, and especially more empowered in your Ruach HaKodesh to impact the world around us. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says... Amen and amen. Uh, so yeah, this evening we are celebrating Shavuot, and for some that are in attendance with us, that may have been a surprise. You may have thought you were coming for our regular Tuesday night Bible study, um, and then you got trapped and couldn't leave. Um, so uh, hopefully this ends up being a blessing for you anyways. But, uh, but we are celebrating Shavuot this evening at sundown has begun uh, Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, or in the church what is known as Pentecost. Um, and typically speaking, most years, uh, the church's observance of Pentecost is slightly off from the Jewish observance of Shavuot, uh, sometimes by as much as a month. I don't really recall when Pentecost is this year in the church. Sorry, I didn't follow that one this year. Uh, but the last two years have been interesting uh, because three years ago, uh, which, you know, so last year was this two and then three years the year before that. So three years ago, uh, three Shavuots ago, the uh, entire Jewish world, because there's some debate over how to count the Omer to get to Shavuot, um, the entire Jewish world was celebrating Shavuot in unity and in unison. It all fell on the same day no matter what. And on top of that, the Christian world was celebrating Pentecost on the exact same day. It happened to fall, uh, Shavuot fell on a Sunday, and it happened to be the same exact Sunday that Pentecost fell on. And uh, I talked quite a bit back then and spoke in different congregations about how powerful of an image that is because the Lord says we're two or three gathered together, there he will be. And we see over and over again in Scripture this image of unity. And when we come together in unity, even unintentionally, when we come together in unity, it's amazing to see what the Lord does. And, uh, and Shavuot that year, and especially eventually, that happened afterwards in our congregation. I know in other congregations around the country and around the globe, there were some awesome things that happened. Uh, and I believe that it was because the entire body of Messiah was in unity and celebrating the events of the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh. Last year, uh, for the second year in a row, the entire Jewish world celebrated Shavuot at the same time again. Uh, Christianity was a little bit off with Pentecost, but the Jewish world was in unity and unison. This year, it's still you know, normal to Jews. Three opinions were in different directions sometimes, but uh, but it's awesome as we celebrate Shavuot, uh, how we see what the Lord has done. And each year we get to see the differences in how he reveals himself more and more and more. Uh, we just finished a study here at the synagogue um, uh, on our Tuesday night Bible study about, uh, I guess maybe about two months ago, uh, that was entitled A Ruach Encounter, uh, uh, the Ruach HaKodesh of the Holy Spirit from creation through today. And it was, at least in my opinion, uh, you know, maybe this is me talking myself up, I don't know, but in my opinion, it was a really powerful uh, study. I mean, it was just an awesome opportunity to dig through because a lot of believers 
looking at the Ruach HaKodesh, looking at the Holy Spirit, they start with where? They, they start with Acts chapter 2, right? And they, they, they look from Acts chapter 2 through the rest of the Baruch HaDashah, the rest of the New Testament. But there's never this thought that, oh, you know what, maybe the Ruach HaKodesh is eternal too, and maybe it happened before, and it was a present before Acts chapter 2, uh, maybe even present before Matthew, right? And so we started uh, the first six weeks of this 10-week series was specifically and intentionally in the, the Old Testament, in the Tanakh, um, in the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, the, the Torah, the writings, the uh, Torah, the prophets, and the writings. Um, and so we began with creation itself, and we talked about the Holy Spirit in creation and what God was trying to do uh, for us. And then we moved through Moses, and we moved through uh, the 70 elders, and Joshua, and uh, 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 Samuel, and Saul, and David, and Solomon, and uh, so on and so forth, Elijah and Elisha. And we moved into the New Testament and did two weeks just in the Gospels on Yeshua. Yeshua and the Spirit. And then we went to, to Acts and we looked at the, the Spirit throughout the book of Acts. As opposed to just starting with Acts 2, we built up eight weeks to get to Acts. Um, and then we went through into the Pauline epistles as more of an application. How do we live this out now? And we looked at the Pauline epistles for that. Um, but it's a really powerful study. It was really, I, I think, a really awesome study. So if you get the time and are, are intrigued at all, feel free to go back to our podcast on our website or on iTunes, and you can listen to some of those. It's a free plug. Um, and you can listen to some of those, and, uh, and hopefully it'd be a blessing for you as it has been for our congregation. And so this evening, as we uh, celebrate Shavuot and as we talk about it tonight, I want to take the time to really contemplate and spend time in focusing on what the Lord was doing and what He wants to do in our lives in giving us the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, and in particular, why it mattered that it happened on Shavuot. And if we look at Acts 2, it specifically says on Shavuot and why there were so many Jews that were in Jerusalem Jerusalem on Shavuot and why uh, all of these different things that happen. But in order to get there, we have to begin with the beginning of Shavuot. And so we go back to Exodus 19 and 20. And what we know about Shavuot is, uh, or in particular about Exodus 19 and 20, the re revelation of the presence of the Lord, the divine glory of the Lord, the Shekhinah of the Lord before the nation of Israel is that not only was it an experience, because I mean, you know, we think roller coasters and such are, are uh, an experience. We think good movies are an experience. Like I'm a blood, guts, and gore action movie kind of guy. And, and if I can get riled up watching a fun movie like that, you know, that's an experience. But imagine Israel. Imagine Israel at Mount Sinai. The presence of the Lord has now descended upon the mountain. The ground is quaking. You hear the sound of a mighty rushing wind. You hear the sound of the, the heavenly shofar blast. And then all of a sudden, this awe-inspiring, uh, I think, think of George W. Bush, shock and awe, the shock and awe uh, uh, attack. Um, <laughs> I don't know why my mind went there. But this awe-inspiring interaction with the voice of the Lord, the audible voice of the Lord. You want to talk about exciting. You want to talk about moving. And literally the ground moved with his voice. You want to talk about something that will get your attention. It got Israel's attention so much that Israel was too afraid to hear anything else from him directly and said, Moses, we want you to go and get his his uh, word and bring it back to us. See, we talk about in the body of Messiah today far too often when we use these words, uh, and, and it breaks my heart that this is what we dumb it down to, uh, but, but we talk about the Ten Commandments as though they're the only ten that matters, and truth be told, most of the body of Messiah doesn't care about one of them. 
Uh, the fourth one, they just throw out the window because it doesn't matter at all, right? Uh, and so really we talk, we say the Ten Commandments, and we really only want people to worry about nine of them. But the problem is, is when we say the Ten Commandments, we're limiting God. And we're limiting what he wanted to do. The ten words is, is how it's worded in the, the Torah, the, the, the ten words of Adonai. These ten commandments were merely a foundation. See, Israel was supposed to hear all of the word of the Lord from the voice of the Lord. But Israel was too afraid to listen to his voice. They were too afraid to receive his voice. They were too afraid to hear it any longer. And they said, Moses, we want you to be our intermediary. You go and get the word and bring it back to us. And anything the Lord says through you, we will do. And we cut off our opportunity to communicate and to commune with the Lord on an independent, individual, and personal level. But if we go back to creation, that's exactly what the Lord wanted was a personal relationship. When I have a conversation with my wife, uh, sometimes it's over the phone, but typically it's face-to-face, it's in person, um, and I don't go to, uh, I don't go to, <laughs> I don't go to, uh, to somebody like Lisa and say, hey, Lisa, Danielle and I are, uh, you know, we're really not talking right now, so will you relay this message to Danielle? So that, and Danielle goes, well, Lisa, I need you to relay this. That's not really how we communicate. Uh, and, and to be honest, it's kind of a flawed plan for a relationship to try and have that intermediary between the two of you. You've got to have open communication lines. And here's what's interesting about Sinai and the Sinai experience on that first Shavuot is that the, the beauty of Shavuot is, anybody ever recognize that at Mount Sinai, there was a wedding ceremony? It was a wedding ceremony. The presence of the Lord hovered over the mountain and over Israel. They were all standing, seeing his presence. The presence acted as a chuppah, a covering, a, a, a kippurah, a covering over the nation of Israel. The ten words, which were the foundation, the ten words were a ketubah, the marriage license between Israel and, and the Lord, between the Lord and Israel. And it was a relationship foundational thing. It was a, a license, a contract between Israel and the Lord. And Israel says, I do. And the Lord says, I do also. And we became intertwined in marriage with the Lord. And if we go forward to the uh, Shah, what is it that the, the scriptures over and over again call the body of Messiah? The bride of Yeshua, right? So Acts 2 was a renewal of the vows between Israel and the Lord. Not between the church and the Lord in a new wedding ceremony where God divorced Israel and pushed them out the way but a renewal with Israel. Because you got to understand, when Israel left Egypt, it says there was a mixed multitude that left with them, right? Go back and read it. Put me the test on this. I'm fine with that. It says there was a mixed multitude that left with them. Nowhere in the Torah does it say they ever diverge onto a different path. Nowhere in the Torah does it say that that mixed multitude left to go somewhere else. But from Sinai on, there's a singular term that referenced this entire people group that left Israel. I mean, that left Egypt. You know what that term was? Israel. Jew and Gentile became one in Israel. Some were natural born, blood descendancy of Abraham, and others were proselytes. They were grafted in. They became a part of Israel voluntarily. They chose to be a part of the people of God. As a matter of fact, on Shavuot, we read the book of Ruth. And the reason we read it, or one of the primary reasons, is because it is a beautiful image of what Judaism calls a convert to Judaism. But in particular, it's a beautiful image of a Gentile becoming a part of Israel because she says, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Wherever you go, I will go. 
She becomes a part of Israel. She not only becomes a part of Israel, she marries Boaz. She not only marries Boaz, but she becomes the great-grandmother of who? Melech David, King David. The great-great-grandmother of Melech Shlomo, uh, King Solomon. Ultimately in the lineage of Melech Yeshua, King Yeshua. Mount Sinai was an expression of a marriage ceremony. It was a wedding between Israel and the Lord. Israel being made up of Jew and Gentile alike coming together as one in the covenant with Adonai. Acts 2 was not a, a, a fresh marriage for the Lord with his new bride because he got rid of his old bride when they got, he got tired of them. Instead, it was a renewal of his vows. It was a renewal of the covenant that we failed on, not him, that we failed on. It was a renewal of that covenant. And yet again, as we move towards Acts 10, what we realize is that again it was Jew and Gentile coming together as one, as the bride of the Lord, as the bride of Messiah. It was Jew and Gentile coming together as one. No different between the two. Both become a part of Israel. Some are blood lineage, natural born. And some are those who have chosen to walk alongside with the people of Israel and become a part of Israel. And if we pay attention to the Torah and to the prophets, what we realize is that those of the nations who become a part of Israel, they are not distincted, separate from Israel. They become a part of Israel and they become inherited within the tribe among whom they live. So Caleb, who was a Kenizzite, he wasn't a blood lineage descendant of Abraham. He was not a Jewish person, became the head of the tribe of Judah. We see how all of this starts to come together. And so in Acts chapter, I'm sorry, in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, as Israel is at Mount Sinai, what we realize is the Lord, at the very beginning, verse 3, uh, or just short of the very beginning, verse 3, it says, Moses went up to God, and I called to him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob, and tell B'nai Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my commandments, then you will be my own treasure from among all the people. For all the earth is mine. So as for you, you will be to me a kingdom of Kohanim, a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel. It's a betrothal. It's an engagement. The Lord is saying, will you be mine? Will you marry me? And then they stand under the chuppah together in chapter 20, uh, the end of 19 in chapter 20, and the ketubah is signed as Israel says, everything you say we will do. As a matter of fact, from Exodus 19 through roughly Exodus 24, 25 is the entirety of that ceremony because it's in Exodus 24 that Israel says, everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. Everything the Lord has spoken, we will do. A lot of times we look at Acts chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments, and we look at them as though they're all that matters in the entirety of the Old Testament, or at least in the entirety of the Torah, and nothing else matters, and we don't need to worry about anything else, but it's just the foundation. We've talked a lot in recent weeks here at the synagogue about things like honor your father and your mother. It's a pretty simplistic command, right? How in the world do we do that? How exactly do we honor our Father? That's a really big concept. That's a really novel idea. How do we do that? Is it just calling him up to make Aliyah to the Torah? Well, no, there's more to it. There's actual involvement. Well, how do we figure out how to do that? Oh, don't worry, cheat sheet. Look through the rest of the Torah. The Lord gives you a cheat sheet on how to do it. Don't let them, when they get old and can't take care of themselves, don't let them die by the wayside. Take care of them. Care for them. Love them. 
Listen to what they say. Don't become a wayward child who they have to then take to the priest and stone. Notice we never read about that actually happening, though, in the Scriptures, because all it took was a warning, and, and the, the children went, nope, don't want to do that. Aside from that is the reality that the parents had to be willing to say, my kid, there's no hope left for. And what parent's going to say that? We're always going to hold out hope. Always going to. Lo and behold, that is an image of, of the Lord, because we're his children, and he's always going to hold out hope. Look at our lives. Any one of you take a brief moment to think about your life up to this point, in particular up to the moment of your salvation. How many times in our life do you think there is that the Lord wanted to go, I'm done, I'm out? Just look at Israel over and over again. He says, I'm done. I'm I'm just going to start fresh with you, Moses. And Moses said, don't put that on me. (laughs) I don't want that. How often did... Yes, I was not quoting the movie. Um, How often did... uh, (laughs) Not all the way. How often did the Lord say something like that about Israel? And then, uh, as the the scripture says, he repented. Uh, Although he didn't really repent because he wasn't really going to do it. But we're his children. How often in our lives? I mean, I can think to countless events in my life where I have no doubt in my mind that the Lord wanted to go, I'm done. Heck, my parents quite often, I'm done, I'm out, I'm over, you're on your own, go do your own thing, I'm done with it. Uh, Yet the Lord keeps drawing us back into himself and calling us back into himself. We see in Jeremiah 31, particularly 31, verse 31 as the beginning, we see that the Lord uh, tells Israel, and, and keep in mind, Jeremiah is a dark and gloomy book. It's, it's a painful prophecy to read through. Imagine being God having to share this message with Jeremiah, that he was going to destroy the nation of Israel, that he was going to destroy Jerusalem, that he was going to tear down the temple, that he was going to rip Israel away from the promised land and scatter them among the nations. Imagine being Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, was in the order of the Kohanim. He was supposed to be a priest. He had a really good job lined up, right? Every Jewish grandmother wants their kid to have a great job, to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a rabbi, or something, right? I was lazy and went the third route, the rabbi, because it was too much school for the rest of it. But um, every Jewish grandmother wants their grandkid, their, their, their grandkid to have a great job and a career. Every Jewish mother wants their kid to have a great job and a great career. Jeremiah was a priest. He had a career set up. He was good to go. And then the Lord said, hold up, I got a different plan for you. I got a different route. You're actually going to take off all of Israel. Instead of making them feel better, you're just going to destroy them. You're going to rip them down. And Jeremiah's like, I don't want that. I don't, I don't like that plan. I don't want to do that. I kind of think Jeremiah had the same mentality as Moses. He said, don't put that on me. I don't want to do that. I don't want to take care of that. Uh, yet he does, and he follows the calling. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 30, at the beginning uh, of this particular concept. Um, In Jeremiah 31, it's talking about the new covenant and what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah to Israel is, look, don't worry, I'm scattering you among the nations, but I will bring you back. I will bring you back into myself. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, so on and so forth. Every one of these prophets of gloom and destruction over Israel, the message was always the same. I will bring you back into myself. If you simply repent, I will stay the execution. If you simply repent, I will draw you back to myself. Verse 30 says, Behold, days are coming. It is a declaration of Adonai when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice, talks about the new covenant that doesn't say where I'm going to make a new covenant that wipes the Jewish people out, gets rid of the Jewish people, moves them on, and it's only with the nations. Who does he say he's making a new covenant with? Judah and Israel. In other words, with the Jewish people. 
I'm making a new covenant with the Jewish people. I'm not getting rid of, I'm not divorcing, I'm not casting out my bride, my old bride, to, to get the next model. He said, I'm restoring my bride. I'm restoring my bride. He says, uh, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. It is a declaration of Adonai. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. It is a declaration of Adonai. I will put my Torah, my instructions within them. Yes, I will write it on their heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. Sounds like Exodus 19 all over again, right? Sounds like Hosea all over again. They will be, I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each teach his neighbor or each his brother saying, no Adonai, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest is a declaration of Adonai, for I will forgive their iniquity, their sin I will remember no more. Amen. The scriptures was, were written by the hands of men who were inspired by what? The Holy Spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. The Torah written by Moses was written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The prophets were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The writings were written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Lord says, I will place my word in them, what he is saying is, I will take my Holy Spirit, which inspired them, uh, the words of the Torah, I will take my Holy Spirit and place it within them, and it will now be etched into their very flesh that they no longer strive to honor my word only on the outside, which gets them nowhere, but instead will strive to honor my word by the leading of my Holy Spirit, which inspired the words in the first place from the inside so that the outside falls in line. Hence Yeshua in Matthew 5 saying, you've heard it said it's a sin to commit murder, but I say if you've even hated somebody, you've already committed that sin in your heart. You've heard it said it's a sin to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've even lusted, you've already committed that sin in your heart. What Yeshua is saying for every external sin, murder and adultery are both spoken about in Torah. For every external sin, there's an internal sin or, an, in my opinion, a, 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 a demonic leaning, uh, leading something that the enemy is trying to lead us astray from the Lord for, but there's an internal sin that, that leads us down that path. So murder, we've got to hate somebody to commit murder. In order to, to have a, commit adultery or fornication, we've got to lust. <clears throat> and so the Lord says, if you just let me take care of the inside, if you just let me handle the inside, the outside will never fall prey to sin. He doesn't say, I'm going to get rid of any of this stuff. He says, for every external, there's an internal. If you let me take care of the internal, the external can't mess up. And then he goes on to talk about when the comforter comes, the Ruach HaKodesh comes, we'll be able to do even greater things than he did, not because we're greater than him, but because now his spirit resides within us and leads us. And we can actually strive to honor his word and to walk in an emulation of Messiah because it's only through his spirit that we're capable of doing so. In uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. I want to point out real quick. The whole concept of the upper room in Jerusalem, somewhere in the upper room, there was a whole bunch of believers and the Spirit of God fell there and, and that's just not possible. It's just not possible. How do we know it's not possible? Because the very next thing it tells us after the Spirit of God falls is there were thousands of Jews from every tribe and tongue in the nations 
that were there in Jerusalem on this Shavuot that heard and saw everything that went down. And if they were in some second story, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to take you to the upper room that they think is, quote unquote, the upper room. Uh, and when they're, they're, they're going to show you, it's this little bitty tiny place. And I go, this is where all that happened. But it's not possible because there's no way that in the streets, thousands of people could stand there and see everything that's happening. It's only one place where it makes sense. The place God called the Jewish people to be on Shavuot, the temple in Jerusalem. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And, and what house would that be? The temple, called the house of the Lord, a house of prayer for all nations. Verse 3, And tongues like fire spreading out appeared to them and settled on each one of them. They were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to speak in other tongues as the Ruach enabled them to speak out. If we look at, at, at Acts chapter 2 and we look at Exodus 19, the end of Exodus 19, they're correlations, they're mirror images. The ground quakes, a mighty rushing wind, the sound of heavenly noises. Uh, the Lord speaks forth in an audible voice. And here in Acts chapter 2, the Lord speaks through the utterance of the Ruach HaKodesh, or the, the utterance of speaking in tongues. In this case, I don't believe that this was some random noise that was being spouted off, but instead... I believe that it was the Lord using his Ruach HaKodesh to take these men from Galilee that only spoke Hebrew, who all of a sudden, somehow, these men from every tribe and tongue uh, who were there to celebrate Shavuot somehow were able to understand what these dudes speaking in Hebrew were saying in their own native language. And there's a whole theological discussion I could set up here, but we just don't have time to dive into that, connected to the Tower of Babel and what all happened and the confusing and confounding of the languages and the unconfusing and confounding of the languages here and da-da-da and what have you. But, uh, and I'll let you sit on that and let it cycle for a little bit. But the, the reality is, is that the Lord here, just like in Exodus 20, the Lord is speaking audibly, this time through his people. Because Moses, Israel said, hey, we don't want to hear your voice anymore, Lord. You speak through Moses. Israel's heart hadn't changed. They still didn't want to hear the voice of the Lord. So now there's still somebody that the Lord's speaking through, except now it's not one person. It's a whole multitude of people. And so all these men from, uh, all these Jewish men and proselytes from all these different nations and languages are seeing all of this happening, experiencing it, and they're going, what in the world just happened? How are we hearing these dudes from the Galilee speaking in our languages? They don't speak our languages. How do we hear them and understand them? And, and I truly believe that what they were speaking wasn't just random noise but I truly believe they were speaking the gospel. That the Lord was speaking through them in all of these different languages, and they were hearing the gospel. Verse 14 of chapter 2 goes on after they began poking fun, saying they were uh, drunk and full of sweet wine. Verse 14 says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Fellow Judeans and all who are staying in Jerusalem, let it, this be known to you and pay attention to my words. And again, this is... Jews and proselytes, in other words, those that converted to Judaism. So this is Jew and Gentile alike being brought together in the Bride of Messiah. Uh, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my ruach, my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will shall, shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my slaves, male and female, I will pour out my ruach in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will give wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoky vapor. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of Adonai comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of Adonai shall be saved. Peter says, we're not drunk. 
This isn't some crazy thing that's happening. You were told about this. This is exactly what the Lord said was going to happen in Joel 2. This is exactly what the Lord said was going to happen. You just need to open your eyes and see. The very next thing we read after all of this occurs, verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the emissaries, Fellow brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be immersed in the name of Messiah Yeshua for the removal of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as Adonai, our God, calls to himself. It's not limited to Israel. It's not limited to the nations. It's limited to God's creation, to everyone who breathes the breath of life. That God calls unto himself, salvation is freely given, and the Ruach HaKodesh is available. Verse 41, so those who received his message were immersed, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. That day about 3,000 souls were added. And then as we read through Acts, we continue reading, and we see that there were hundreds added this day, uh, tens and twenties added, and thousands added, over and over again. Then we get to Acts chapter 2, and we see, oh, wait, all of a sudden this marriage starts to draft in. Guess who again? The Gentiles. Why? Because God's, in, his, his intention was always Jew and Gentile as one, because he didn't create Jew and Gentile. It's not like Adam was Jewish and Eve was Gentile. He didn't create Jew and Gentile. He created humanity. And from humanity, he called a specific nation that was beginning to develop out of a man named Abraham who had a heart like God, who had a heart to follow after God. He called his descendants out to be a light to the nations so that the nations would be able to find their way to the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and only God of Israel, not so that they could lead them to God and God could get rid of the Jewish people because his promises and his covenant to the Jewish people are never ending and they are eternal. And we cannot in good conscience believe that a God who would say that his promises and covenants to Israel are eternal, but would cut them off forever, would then also mean that his promises of salvation are eternal to us. Because that God is a God that changes his mind and lies, and we can't believe in faithfulness in that. So either God wasn't starting something new, as the body of Messiah has told us for the last 2,000 years, or we're all fools for believing in any of this in the first place. The reality is, is God wasn't starting something new. He was reestablishing what he had originally started, which was intended to be Jew and Gentile coming together as one in the bride of Messiah, in the body of the Lord. He brought us into this relationship, this covenant of marriage at Sinai, and renewed this covenant of marriage in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 as he brought Jew and Gentile together as one. As a matter of fact, if we go to Romans chapter 11, Paul starts to really dive into this. And Paul, you could tell Paul gets upset in Romans as he deals with this. Paul starts to dive into this and he says, I say then God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be for I too am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he knew beforehand. Or do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? And then he goes on to talk about him crying out about there being nobody, no prophets left, nobody left that serves God. Uh, and the Lord says, I've kept a thousand people for myself. Verse 11 says, I say then they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? May it never be. But by their false steps, salvation has come to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. Why are Gentiles allowed to be in the body of Messiah? One, because the Lord wants us, wants the, the nations as a whole. And two, because he wants the Gentile believers to drive the Jewish people to jealousy for their God, whom the Gentiles have now gotten access to. 
Now if their transgression leads to the riches for the world and their lost riches for the Gentiles, then how much more their fullness? But I am speaking to you who are Gentiles insofar as I am an emissary to the Gentiles. I spotlight my ministry. If somehow I might provoke to jealousy my own flesh and blood and save some of them. For if their rejection leads to the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the death, life from the dead? If the first fruit is holy, so is the whole batch of dough as if the root is, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you being wild olive were grafted in among them and became partakers of the root of the olive tree with its richness, do not boast against the branches. And we as the body of Messiah need to pay attention to this because for 2,000 years we've thrown Romans 11 out the window. And the Lord is reestablishing his promises to Israel. The Lord is reopening the eyes of his people to the truth of his salvation. He is realigning the body of Messiah with the Jewish roots of their faith. He says, do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, it is not you who support the root, but the root who supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. True enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, neither Will he spare you? See, we're in a Messianic Jewish synagogue right now. And what's interesting about the average Messianic Jewish synagogue, it is predominantly overwhelming, uh, overwhelmingly Gentile. The average Messianic synagogue has no more than about 40 or 50% of the congregation is Jewish. If you're lucky. There's a few that reach a little above the 50% mark. But the average is really between probably 10% and 30% that's actually Jewish, and the rest of the congregation are Gentile. So what we see since the early 60s, or late 60s really, when the modern Messianic Jewish movement really began to be birthed, uh, and the foundations of which started to, to, to come out in the late 1800s with the rise of modern Zionism. But from 1960, late 1960s, 1967, the 70s, when the modern Messianic Jewish began to emerge and become what we know it is to, as today, what we start to see is Jew and Gentile coming together as one, being reestablished under the original covenants that the Lord has given us. Because it was never meant to be Jews only. It was never meant to be Gentiles only. It was never meant to be Gentiles that Jews could come be a part of or Jews that Gentiles could come to be a part of. It was meant to be the people of God. And both Jew and Gentile have a distinct purpose. Jew, uh, the Jewish purpose in the body of Messiah, as it always has been, is to be a light unto the nations. The Gentile purpose in the body of Messiah is to drive the Jew to jealousy for his God. And it's a cyclical purpose. It takes both for this thing to work. But the thing we have to understand, and as we celebrate Shavuot and we recognize the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh, we recognize the giving of the Aserah HaDibroth, the ten words, and ultimately the Torah and Mount Sinai, um, what we have to understand is that it was never God's intention for there to be Jews over here and Gentiles over there. It was meant for there to be God's people, both Jew and non-Jew grafted into the root and the fatness of the olive tree, which is Israel. It was never intended for there to be Messianic Jewish synagogues and churches. So we don't serve a God of disunity and, 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 and separation. We serve a God who calls for unity. But every time humans get involved, we muck things up. And that's exactly what we did was we caused division. While the Lord was calling for unity, we caused division. And the Lord is calling us back into unity again. 
And we're starting to see as more and more uh, Gentile believers start to get a hunger for the Jewish roots of the faith. And that's why so many Gentiles from churches start to appear in Messianic synagogues around the holidays, the, the Moedim, the appointed days of Adonai, the feasts and festivals. That's why so many Messianic synagogues start to blossom with Gentiles. And, and guess what starts to happen as Messianic synagogues start to blossom with Gentiles that truly want to align with Israel. Not Gentiles that just want to find a new way to replace Israel, but truly want to align with Israel. Jews start coming to faith. You know why? Because Gentiles are now in a position to start to drive Jews to jealousy for their, their God. And guess what happens when Jews find faith in Messiah? Finally, we can live out our calling to be a light into the nations because it's only at that point when we find salvation in Yeshua, that the light of Messiah, the light of the Lord, is truly within us. And that light is the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit. Shavuot is not just something that we should, should haphazardly take consideration of. It's not a forgotten holiday. Uh, it's not a forgotten thing that's not quite so important as Passover. A lot of people, oh, you know, Passover Seder is coming. We've got to go and experience the Passover Seder, but very few people want to experience Shavuot. But Shavuot is something that is equally as important as Passover. As a matter of fact, what began at Passover came to completion and fulfillment at Shavuot. And it's important that we wrap our heads around that. I want to encourage you this evening, and my message in all honesty took a turn different than where I intended it to go or where I expected it to go. Not that I intended to go in any particular direction. I want the Lord to speak through me, but it has gone in a completely different direction than I had expected it to go. Um, and uh, so I want to encourage you this evening because we are here as Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. I want to encourage you to take to heart that the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit that is living within us as believers in Messiah Yeshua is there for the purpose of unifying, not dividing. The Lord renewed his marriage covenant and his vows with Israel in Acts chapter 10. And just like with the exodus of Egypt and the, the revelation of Mount Sinai, he allowed the nations to come and be a part of it and be grafted in. Acts chapter 2, the same thing happened. And we see it in Acts chapter 10 as that begins to happen. The Lord never, never desired division. This doesn't mean that if you go to a church, I'm telling you to up and leave your church and go to a Messianic synagogue. But for us to grasp and understand what the Lord is trying to do among his people in these days. Because the fact that the body of Messiah, in particular the Gentile church, is starting to get a hunger for it. And actually we're seeing two different things happening. One is we're seeing a hunger for the Jewish roots on one side of the body. And on the other side of the body, we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism again. Lo and behold, Yeshua says that in the end of days, even... Even the elect will be led astray or can be led astray. So let us not be led astray. Let us recognize that the power of the Ruach HaKodesh is for unifying, not dividing. Let us recognize that Shavuot is a very important reality and it's an opportunity every year for us to celebrate our anniversary and our marriage to the Lord. Let us recognize that just as if my wife and I, if, if Danielle was my second wife, if I had a first wife, and Danielle was my second wife, and I went to Danielle and said, hey, I know we got married on October 27, but I really like my old anniversary better. Can we just celebrate our anniversary then? She's not going to dig that at all. As a matter of fact, I'm probably going to get slapped for joking around about her being a second wife. But she's not going to dig that at all. In the same sense, the Lord really doesn't, really, I, I truly believe, I, I don't think the Lord 
rebels in the fact that the Gentiles come into the body of Messiah in the third and fourth century and said, hey, God, you know, I'm really glad that you did all this for us and you let us come be a part of this, but we're just going to hang on to our old stuff and just carry it over with us. And all that stuff that you prescribed in the scriptures, we're just going to kind of push that out the way over here. And we'll find a way to fit you in our old stuff, right? We'll find a way to fit you on our old anniversaries. But we don't really, I mean, this is, yeah, sure, this is important to you, but this is important to us. The Lord is drawing us back in the unifying spirit of his Ruach HaKodesh, of his Holy Spirit. Drawing us back into one body, one mind, one accord. Not divided, but unified in his power and glory. And if we're not, we will fail. If we're not, we will fail. The purpose of his Ruach HaKodesh in us is to bring the light into the nations, to impact the world around us with his presence. But if we are not unified in that spirit, we are wasting our time, his time, and most importantly, we are wasting his salvation for our lives. Because the Lord says, you will know those that are bought by my blood by the fruit that they produce. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing there. But if we're not producing fruit, are we truly his? And fruit is produced most fervently in unity. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for being the God of all creation. We thank you for being a God who not only created us, but who loved us, who cherished us, and who drew us back into your glory with the blood atonement of Messiah Yeshua and placed your Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit within us. Father, I thank you that you have given us your word in the scriptures and you have restored, renewed, and reiterated your word through the power of your Ruach HaKodesh in our hearts. Father, I thank you that you have made us your Mishkan, your tabernacle, your temporary dwelling place here on earth that you may lead us in the way that you have called us so that we can impact the world around us for you. Father, I thank you that you have chosen to place your spirit within us, to give us your might and power that we can impact the world around us. Father, I thank you that you have called us to do even greater things than Messiah Yeshua did because your spirit now resides within us. And Father, I thank you that in these last days that you are calling us, encouraging us, uplifting us to walk in the power and the might of your Ruach HaKodesh with no fear, with no shame, with no uh, condemnation, and to speak life, to speak salvation, to speak healing into people's lives. Father, that you have called us to resurrect the dead. Literally, those who are dead in sin resurrected to new life in your salvation. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachin, in the name of Yeshua Messiah we pray. And everyone says, Amen.